0: Alive and kicking with Claire McKenna. With Benalyn. On News
1: Talk. Yes, you can email the show, kicking at newstalk.com, or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Jessica Cook on Staying Fit Over 40, Chris Sherlock on the personal story which led him to being one of Ireland's biggest voices on anti bullying, and Orla and Jeff Hopkins on the blood, sweat, and tears that led to them opening their leisureware store on Grafton Street this week. So, what kind of health and wellness week did I have? Well, I wanted to talk a little about ageing. It does crop up on the show from time to time. And while I am always aware of the privilege of ageing and health, and I fight against the idea that we lose our power as we age, there can be times when superficial things like maybe greying roots or the latest addition to my life, a prescription for glasses, that I feel a certain sense of resignation. It's like you become... I've found more aware of your mortality the more that life rushes by. Maybe that, I was thinking, is why you party a little bit more at the start of your life and you feel so bulletproof in your 20s. I am fully aware that getting glasses, because reading my iPhone is getting tricky, as is my book at night, that this is not really a big deal. And actually, I think I'm kind of looking forward to picking the new fashion accessory out. But I have had to do some work on myself in recent years to accept the simple passage of time. It took me quite a while to get my head around and accept and reframe the wasted, in inverted commas, years of the pandemic. And it honestly felt like my 30s went by in a flash. Of course, I was busy. There was house buying, marriage, two babies thrown into the usual mix of work, fun and travel. But still... I started to realise that if life keeps up at this pace, it'll be over before I know it. That's the feeling that took the most work, the running out of time feeling, because of course, that's the paradox. You need to enjoy every second, not spend it worrying about the loss of it. So I'm booked in next Tuesday at the opticians to pick my glasses out and I will wear them as a badge of honour, a representation of all the wonderful experiences I have been through and all that are still to come. And I'll be able to see them properly now. You can email the show, aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, I have an announcement to make. I will be hosting another Alive and Kicking hike, this time. It's at sunrise. I do talk a lot about the magic of the early morning and watching the sun come up if the weather plays ball. And the great thing about winter is the sunrise is far more palatable than it is in the summer. So we will be meeting at 7am sharp in the Wicklow area on Saturday, the 3rd of December. The hike is not advanced, but average fitness levels are needed. We will hike up to a good viewing spot. Hopefully it will be a clear day. And I'll be joined by Elaine Nick Raymond of Shulin and Cara Byrne of Hike Psych Dot I-E. So there's going to be a bit of a wellness workshop of sorts at the top. Nothing major, but do be aware as the sun rises, we'll be soaking up that magic. If you would like to be included, you can register at newstalk.com forward slash events. Newstalk.com forward slash events. Numbers will be limited. I'm sorry, I cannot bring you all, but listeners come first. So head there now and register your interest and if you get an email with the details you are in. Now, when I started presenting this show, you might remember I went on a bit of a health journey working with a variety of experts to try and cut through the overwhelm of the wellness messaging. I wrote about it in Life magazine for the Sunday Independent and for one of the photo shoots, I rang a friend of mine, Michelle, who I knew had a best mate with a workout brand, Range. And she put me on to Orla who kindly sent me some new Dimension leggings and tops to wear. And I have been a super fan of the brand ever since. Flattering leggings that last and don't cost the earth aren't easy to come by and I was chuffed to find an Irish brand that ticked all the boxes. So I've been delighted since then to become a paying customer along the way and to watch the brand go from strength to strength. They recently announced a collaboration with Vogue Williams and opened a bricks and mortar store at the top of Grafton Street. So I went to New Dimensions for a tour. So here we are in your first bricks and mortar store. It's it's incredible. It's really beautiful. I'm joined by Orla and Jeff Hopkins, the brother and sister behind New Dimensions. When did the idea first start to have your own store?
2: I suppose um, after coming out of COVID, we had really, you know, felt our sales were doing fantastic. In COVID, we built a fabulous community online, but on the other side of that, people started to, you know, spend their money in different directions. And they were going on holidays. They were, you know, going out. They were, you know, just going in different directions. So we felt that we wanted to bring our community back together and we wanted to be able to see and chat and connect and let them come in and feel and touch product. And I suppose we just started chatting and the idea escalated. I mean, it's been a while. It's been 18 months in the process. It hasn't been easy. Has not been easy. I need
1: to reiterate that. Um, But here we are. And Jeff, is it like when you buy a house that when you walk into a store, you're like, this is the one or is that like a different kind of...
3: Yeah, well, it is. It is, and it isn't. I mean, um, Grafton Street. I think you would take any premises anywhere along it, um, and you'd grab it and run. But it comes with its challenges and its ups and downs. But um, I think it's just we're we're absolutely delighted to be open, especially in the location that we are. So this is absolutely beautiful to be able to see all of your products. I mean, you
1: have got a really good website and social media and everything, but to be able to see it all, like I didn't even know you did a a male range until I came in here.
3: Yeah, no, well, I I do a lot of the design and and it started with uh, ladies' wear, um, but we really felt that we needed and and we could push into the men's market and especially guys are very different to to girls when they buy online, um, but we've really seen the footfall and our, our sales increase with the men coming in feel and touch and trying on. So uh, yeah it's it's great to have that dynamic.
1: What was important for you, Orla, looking around here, like the design, the layout, what, what did you want from the store?
2: We want a premium. You know, we really pride ourselves on our quality of our product. So we needed to have a premises that looked the same. Um, but also we wanted to, to look you know slick and very well finished. We worked with a fantastic um, team, display contracts who were absolutely amazing to work with from start to finish. Um, and I suppose they came up with a couple of ideas. Jeff and myself went to them with our ideas, and um, this is what you see now. It's uh, we love it. We absolutely love it. How did it feel to open on Saturday?
3: It was a little surreal. Uh, I think it was only yesterday where it really sank in. Uh, it was just chaos, having seen. Um, 200 odd people queuing up the street and us having to man the door and allow only X amount of people in and so on it was uh, it was was incredible it really was
1: because this is what I've heard there were two queues on Grafton Street one for Lego and one for New Dimensions absolutely it was so surreal it as jeff said like surreal
2: and to see and talk to people that have been our online customer and actually listen to their you know their stories about when they started buying with us like some of these people were having with us for the five years they had their first pair of leggings they ever bought they were wearing them on saturday and saying look they are still perfect they're as new and that was really amazing um and yeah the cues it was that was
1: that was incredible that was so surreal Well can we find a quiet spot to get the story behind the brand Um, and you can you can fill me in because as you've already said it doesn't come easy Um, and what seems like an overnight success is certainly a huge amount of Graft. So from the outside looking at the minute you've taken a major step up you've just announced Vogue Williams as your new face you've just got a store on Grafton Street. So where did it all begin where
2: did it start? So myself and my mum had a dancewear store in Drumcondra um, for 15 years and we had started to tap into um, dance school uniforms, like dance academy uniforms. When Jeff came back, he'd been away, um, Jeff's a golfer and he'd been away on tour in South Africa. He came home, started working with us in the store and just saw this niche. He said, you know, you've got this fantastic customer base Um, You're providing this service, but are you 100% happy with the product? And we weren't. The product we had at the time, we were buying in from somewhere else, and we weren't 100% with it. So Jeff said, okay. We can do this. Our parents have a huge background in rag trade and in manufacturing. And um, so we knew it was in our blood. We knew we had we had the know-how, um, but I know I needed the push from Jeff. Um, and it literally started with one legging and it was a dance school academy style legging. And um, the dance teachers and the parents went mad for it and said, God, would you not do this for adults? You know, this is a fitness legging, this is incredible. And that was the start. Um, and I know um, Jeff's standing here beside me and I probably don't praise him enough as he is my brother but I have to give massive kudos to him because he definitely was a driving force from day one Um, and the belief he had in our product that, and I suppose um,
1: the quality, the feedback and he ran with it and that was where it started. And how did you do that Jeff? Because I mean on the one hand people will say And maybe it's different now. You're obviously a few years down, but like it's a really saturated market. How are you going to compete with some of the massive sporting brands? It's a a mindset, isn't it? How did you have that?
3: Um, It actually completely comes from golf. Um, Golf is an individual sport and you get out of it what you put into it. Business is the same. You get out of it what you put in, and look, it comes with its marketing tricks. And um, we've had some obviously great assets to the company as well, and it comes with a great staff force. Um, but yeah, my, my backbone would be I was a professional golfer, so um, I know how to look at the fine details and to, to try and make something perfect, as they say. Um, and look, we're we're still not there. We're by no means perfect, but uh, we're we're making our mark.
1: And Orla, you have also a, a fitness background, so you know what people need out of fitness gear. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also that
2: was that was our conversation at the time as well. Um, you know, we were obviously providing dancewear, but at the same time, I was struggling to find affordable, really good quality leggings. And I, so that would have been definitely part of the conversation. Um, and I was obviously the test dummy to start. Um, and, I mean... As Jeff said, you know, we're not by anywhere at perfect, but back then, what where we've evolved from is incredible. I mean, our first legging was great legging, but compared to what we have now, I mean, there's just no comparison. And that definitely comes with all the trial and
1: testing. I mean, you know,
2: we know they're squat proof. Yeah, we are the test dummies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because we didn't even have that language before. I remember working out and like standing up from I don't know, a burpee or something, having to pull my whole legging up. And I mean, that's just an enjoyable no. experience. So I, I think it's come from people also saying, this isn't right, this isn't what we want and, and, and pushing for Absolutely.
2: more. I mean, that also came from the dance background because a lot of the dance teachers, their feedback to us when we had the shop would have been, you know, oh, I don't, need to, I don't need to see like underwear. I don't need to see the children pulling leggings up like they are dancing. And these would have been top dancers that was interfering with their training. And I said, well, that's the same in the gym. You know, there's nothing worse than getting through a set and having to stop every couple of reps to fix yourself or or being conscious of somebody behind you checking you out. You know, that there's like, you know, sweat marks or there is underwear showing or whatever. So 100%, it's as people, we have definitely started to understand this. And our generations here have really started to take on the fitness, you know. And I mean, there's room for all of us, as we say. There's plenty of competition out there. But as Jeff said, we're
1: here to make our mark and we're going to keep, keep going. And I think it's incredible to have an Irish brand. Um, you know, we want to support our own. And I think it's really important to get that message out there. And even a lot of people I told were coming here today said, oh, God, I didn't realize that was an Irish brand because you're up there with all the big American or global names. So there's no reason
3: why you shouldn't
1: become global yourself. Do you sell worldwide?
3: Yeah, we actually, at the minute, we sell to every corner of the world um, and as the ambitions go for the business we we will be pushing boundaries and we will be extending and um, like you said there as Vogue is one of the faces we have a collaboration coming up with Vogue Williams and that will be our big push into the UK and let's see how far it will take us from
1: there. Tell us a bit about that. I think that's a real genius signing uh, when I saw it announced on your socials and, and hers. I mean, she's the ultimate legging wearer at the minute. She believes in her fitness. She believes in her fashion. She's a bit of crack Irish girl who doesn't take herself too seriously. And she looks damn good in a pair of leggings. So it, it was pretty genius.
3: Well, it's it's crazy how it transpired. Um, Vogue actually came to us for the collaboration, which is... A massive compliment for us, and she, as we go live with all our our content, she does state this many times, and it's something that she's very passionate about because it's the first time she's ever done it. Um, but she just said that we sent her out a PR pack. God, it must have been fourteen months ago, and she just said that she was onto us and onto us, and there was a couple of hiccups along the road, but um, she just she lives in the gear already, and that's not even her collection stuff. Um, so she's she's mad about it. It's great.
1: So it's just a bit of a good vibe thing. You put it out there and things are happening, but it's come with blood, sweat and tears, hasn't it, Orla? Absolutely. And I mean,
2: honestly, that is it, blood, sweat and tears. And I know right now we really do feel a lot's happening and it's amazing and we're running with it and it sounds like, you know, it's a bit crazy. There's so much going on. But when I say there's been blood, sweat and tears and the graph that goes on behind the team we have around us, it's not easy. And, you know, I think... To be here in Grafton Street, sometimes people, I know even people coming in over the last couple of days, I think they might think, oh, that has popped up overnight. That is not the case. We have been hustling hard. And um, as I said, the team behind us is amazing. And it just kind of feels a bit like our stars are aligning at the moment. Mm. And we are just so proud, just so proud to be here. And I think to be working together as a family, like we are a family business. And we, I know it one's at "Sappy." We have a team, but we also call them part of our family because they've been with us through the hard times as well as these good times.
1: Yeah, and I mean, your mom's down on the till downstairs. Yeah, um, yeah, and I know you've your your husband and your kids and all your significant <laughs> others are a huge support to you absolutely. that you couldn't do it without them. And there's a lot been written about you lately, and I see a big deal is being made of your boyfriend dying when you were both really young. And I think the reason people are saying that, did that teach you that life is precious and you um, take risks and you go for it? Absolutely. I mean, and
2: it's it's, yeah, like... You've got to grab life with both hands, and you've got to be willing to take the risks because you know what—not everyone gets that chance to do that. And Nile didn't. Nile passed away tragically at a young age, and he um, didn't make his twenty-first birthday. So, I mean, I feel that I never ever want his name to be forgotten, and I don't want anybody to ever feel that they can't do something because you know what we're only here for a short time not a long time and my dad taught me that a long time ago so I really feel if you've got a passion about something you've got an idea you pull people with you and you make it happen because you know that's life you got to go for it.
1: Well, you are certainly going for it, and even as we walk through the store, it's full of shoppers. It's there's so much talk about you. I have no doubt you will continue to smash those barriers that you spoke about earlier. Jeff and Orla Hopkins, thank you so so much thank for having me. Thank you so much. Coming up after the break, Chris Sherlock on how we can tackle bullying. Alive and kicking
4: on News Talk. Alive and kicking on News Talk.
1: You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Anti-Bullying Week takes place this week, the 14th to 18th of November. Chris Sherlock was a victim of severe bullying, which saw him leave school as a teenager. Before I get into talking to Chris, a trigger warning before we begin. We will be discussing depression and suicide. He is now a radio and podcast presenter and an anti-bullying advocate. And he joins me in studio now. Chris, you're very welcome. Thanks
4: for having me, Claire.
1: Chris, your bullying was very sudden and very severe. Tell Mm. us a little bit about what happened when you started in secondary school.
4: So from the get-go when I started, Claire, to be honest, it was just full-on, you know, name-calling to begin with. And then I always would just brush it off and kind of ignore it all. You know, we just wouldn't give any fuel to the fire, as they say. But when it came to it getting physical, it just, it started so quick. I just happened to be in the schoolyard one day And as I was there, I was literally on the phone just checking out my mum because it was a new school, new building. Everything was new to me, you know. And I just was trying to grasp my new subjects and everything. And it was kind of overwhelming at the start. But then all of a sudden then when I was explaining, you know, what was kind of happening throughout the day-to-day school life, um, these guys just came up behind me and like pinned me against the wall. And then before I knew it, there was a hand around my throat choking me. And I just couldn't believe what was happening. I was in total shock in the moment. And they were just name calling, you know, saying like, who are you on the phone to? They took the phone out of my hand and flung it across the area where I was. And that was just the first incident. So that's kind of the start of when they got physical.
1: And you just brushed it off to your mum, said, look, I, I, I dropped the phone and decided to continue again. But the next incident was was quite serious. You had your top pulled over your head and were pushed down yeah. a, a flight of stairs and you were quite badly injured.
4: Yeah, I received a gash from say my elbow to my wrist there and it was it was pumping with blood and then I, I just remember after it happened and looking up and the guys were just laughing and still taunting me even as it happened. They didn't even try to run away or, you know, do anything. They just stayed there watching everything that was going on. It was like if they were getting their kicks out of it just to see what was happening. Like it was the, there was two kind of different groups that was... Um, part of it so there was kind of the name callers and then the physical abusers let's say and when when I always came to I think they, they all knew each other because they were two or three years ahead of me I was just new into the school so I just couldn't you know understand why they would do it but I just remember going straight to the school office after shaking and just didn't know what to do next to be honest with you but I eventually got there and there happened to be a school nurse there that day and she saw what was happening and she just saw that I was frozen and bleeding so she just brought me in, set me down, calmed me down and she bandaged me up and I was sent home after that and again I was asked what had happened and I just said I was clumsy and I tripped down the stairs because... I didn't want to make the matters worse to be honest with you because there's that consequences of being a rat and then making things worse for yourself and I just I didn't know what to do so I thought if I keep saying nothing they'll eventually get bored and move on to somebody else. Now as bad as that sounds I wouldn't want it to happen to anybody else but it was just to get the attention away from me was my idea.
1: And that's where we're stuck isn't it when it comes to bullying because it's very hard to know what to do. The more pressure you put on the bullies the chances the worse it gets. the victim. Um, So that's where it gets very tricky to speak up and speak out about it. You didn't return to school after that incident?
4: No, I was basically on a few days off to recover from the incident. And I remember going back to the school, it was like the following Monday or whatever, let's say. And I was walking to the school gates and my mother accompanied me the specific day because she was worried they had no clue really what was going on. It was just that they knew something was up, but they just couldn't put their finger on it. They probably just thought it was nerves of being in the new school, but it was far from that. It was because I covered up everything. It was like trying to get through every day, little by little, and then try and look after myself and then make sure that they're not worried about me at the same time. That's what was going through in my head. But when I came to the actual day of going back in, I just broke down and froze I was kind of battling, will I tell her, will I say something? This was from my house to the trip to the school. uh, This was going around in a loop tape in my head. And I just got to the gates and I had like, you know, one of those old, like 1950s flashback film things that you see. That's what it was like in my head. And I just thought everything came together, all the memories, all the name calling. And I just thought I have to say something. And then as I started to say something, I just broke down and I had a panic attack and nothing was making sense. So I... I didn't know it was a panic attack at the time. It was, you know, it was just me being upset, I thought. And then I eventually calmed down and I told my mum there and then right outside the school gates of the school that morning. And we went back home. We talked about out when I was a bit more calmer. And my dad and my mum then took action to the school and we sat down for meetings and so on. But yeah, I could never turn back to school after that because I, I just kept seeing that loop in my head and I thought it's going to get worse and now that I'm after telling my parents and my parents telling the, the school these guys are going to be called out I didn't know their names but I, I did pinpoint one or two of them that was doing the, the physical bullying and they only got like detention for a couple of days and I think it was one or two days expel- expulsion so that that's all that it was it wasn't enough but the Principal turned around and said, well, it's a consequence of being a first year student. You're prone to a first year beating. So even when my mother and father heard that in the, inter- in the um, interview, the meeting that morning, or a couple of mornings later, sorry, they said, no way you're going back to that school anyway. That's for sure. We'll we'll put you somewhere else. And but I just could never go back out of the fear of it happening again.
1: And do you get the sense years on, because you go to a lot of schools now and speak and meet with students, that that things have changed
4: Yes and no. Some things have changed, some things haven't. You know, the teachers are more aware of it now and I think parents are a little bit more aware, especially with the online aspect. This happened to me like in the early, mid-noughties, so it was around 2004, 2005, so social media wasn't a big thing. So things have progressed more with social media and even teachers are trying to be on top of this, but they can't be. And parents, of course, but it it happens everywhere, bullying, you know. Someone's always jealous of somebody or it just just takes uh, a thing where... Something is said and then it, it it just, it builds bigger wings, sadly. And then it gets more daunting for the person that's the victim because they won't say anything in the case that they're going to be targeted more. Or, you know, they might just, it's all about brushing it off. But I, I think we need to be more eyes open on the matter, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, because now with social media and phones, it can follow the person all the way home. There's no respite from it because you can start to feel bullied there again. Do you think we should have a zero tolerance policy for bullying in schools or do we need to start working more with people who become victims to teach them how to be resilient? And I know that makes it sound like I'm placing blame there. Mm -hmm. But do you, for example, ever regret how the situation was handled, that you had to remove yourself from the situation and live your life completely differently because of the actions of others?
4: Uh, Yes, and yes, I do agree that, um, you know, there should be a zero tolerance on it. And yes, I think we need to be more open minded. But and I think we need to be exactly as you just said there, we we definitely do need to be making. This is the thing. Awareness needs to happen all around. And in that awareness, we we need to be like open with teachers and open with parents and open with everybody. And I, I think more strategies need to be put in place. To, um, to to just keep the awareness there like something as simple as maybe for someone that's in schools that's being bullied like a, a talk to teacher comment box small little um, things can be put in place and at least if you don't want to say your name and come forward at least you can put in the comment box I'm being bullied I'm in the class uh, can you please you know Talk to talk to the class about it, or something. Just something simple as that that would make a start. But we need we need to pull out all the stops to to stop it.
1: And it's not just an incident, you know, that people have to go through. It can have a massive impact on their lives. I mean, you suffered post traumatic stress disorder after mm. it. It spiraled into months of depression. You did manage to turn it around, but. It's it stayed with you because I mean it's become very much a, a part of of your identity and, and who you are and what you do now.
4: Yeah, well, I'm lucky to have a bit of a platform to you know start and you know I'm, I'm I work in radio myself, so I, I'm, I'm able to use the platform and I'm happy for people that you know reach out and and have me on shows such as like yours, Claire. But we do we do definitely need to. Um, look at ourselves more because when I when I was going through the PTSD, I just thought, well, my life is over. You know, I thought I'm reliving this constantly. And what do I do from here? Like what and I threw myself into hobbies because I was left in a limbo land. No one kinda of reached out to help me because I was thirteen, going on fourteen. So I I was literally left to my own devices. I didn't know what to do. And it was only by the medium that watching TV and listening to the radio, I just thought, well, I could do that. But I had a long way to go because every time I would put myself into a, a situation, I, I would do like a little bit of photography for a community centre just to build myself up. And this was ideas that were given to me through Galway City Partnership, their youth advocacy service. And they were kind of just helping me kind of build my confidence up in myself because I didn't feel like I was good enough anymore because the bullies kind of really determined who I was in a way. I, there in that moment, I just thought, you know, I I saw myself as weak because I didn't fight back. I see myself as being a burden to my parents, uh, to anyone around me. I thought, well, why should I go on and live my life where the thought was, I need to just end my life here and now. And I almost did by literally walking to the nearest canal I could find, River, and I couldn't swim. of co- So... I just thought, right, I'll jump in now and be and be done with life totally because that's the state that I was in. Because there was the the reliving of the everyday life in the school from the being thrown down the stairs, the choking and the name calling and there's other instances after that where I was even targeted with my parents on a bus. So I, I kind of had it all the time. But how do I distance myself from that to to where I am now? All I did was just baby steps and I threw myself into my hobbies. I listened to music, listened to the radio, watched TV, followed whatever I could. That was my interest. And my hobbies did save me, I think, in the long run, to be honest with you, because I wouldn't be here talking to you today only for that. I have local friends in the area. They saw me on that bridge on the day that I was going to jump in and end my life. And they passed me out and they said, do you want to go back to our house and play video games? They didn't know what I was doing. They just thought I was on my way in or out of town, you know, didn't ask any questions. And it was just that simple act of kindness was there. So that's why I am here today, to be honest with you, Claire.
1: And do you think you're stronger because of the experience?
4: Well, uh, to be working in the radio world, you kind of have to have a stiff neck, don't you? Because you're opening yourself up to more uh, ridicule, you know, people don't like how you sound, what you cover, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I am. I think I've kind of built up a a thing where, uh, yeah, that doesn't bother me anymore. It's like been there, done that, sadly bought the T-shirt unwillingly. But um, I've I've just thrown it aside and said that's I'm just going to turn it into a positive and just go forward with my hobbies and enjoy what I love to do. And that's between working in radio and and broadcasting world. And to be honest with you, I I don't look back on it with any regrets. I just think that if I could go back and tell my younger self, you know, that it'll be okay. and, you know, kind of like move a bit forward a bit quicker. That would help. But you don't put a time frame on stuff like that because you're dealing with the PTSD, you're dealing with anxiety, stress. There was a lot going on. And I did get great help, thankfully. And it was a slow process. But I would have liked to speed it up and try and, you know, because t- t- life goes very quick. You know, the years go quick. So, I, But other than that, you know, I, I don't regret not going back to school. I To this day, I don't have a leaving cert or a junior cert. But I... I found other avenues that I can go down and I'm just going for that. And I don't recommend that to any young kids that are listening and parents are probably going, oh, no, don't be saying that on radio. (laughs) But no, to tell you the truth, it's like everyone finds their own niche. And uh, I think, to be honest with you, you know, stay in schools, do do your exams. But it just happened to be that I went down other avenues and I, I had other paths that helped me get where I am.
1: And you're hugely successful. You can add author to your title. You've written a chapter in mental health for millennials. You have a podcast called Waffle Box with Keith Russell. And as we said, you're a radio presenter. So you've come a long way from rock bottom to where you are now. And now you use your platform to speak out to victims of bullying and bullies and schools to make them think a bit different. Thank you very much for coming in and having this conversation with me today, Chris Sherlock.
4: Thanks, Claire.
1: If you've been affected by anything that we discussed there with Chris, the Samaritans are available 24 hours, 116 123. Call 116 123. Coming up after the break, Jessica Cook on staying fit over 40.
4: Alive and kicking on News Talk. Alive and kicking on News Talk.
1: Now, my next guest, Jessica Cook, is a fitness trainer with over 14 years of experience who chose to focus on women over 40. She joins me in studio now. Jessica, you're very welcome.
0: Hi, thank you. It's so lovely to be here, Claire. Thanks for having me on.
1: Now, your experience, of course, began before that 14 years because you went on a bit of a health journey yourself. It started with with a low. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yes, yeah, so I had a complete breakdown in my 20s um, for many reasons. But the two biggest reasons were that I wasn't taking care of myself. And I think the biggest reason was that I was putting myself last. So not just your usual putting yourself last, more in the sense of I was an afterthought to myself. I was a I dismissed myself in my own life. So for example, and this is just a tiny example, if somebody called me and I was heading out for dinner or I was going for a walk, I would be on the phone for as long as that person wanted me to be. It, I was just a complete afterthought in my own life. I didn't know how to take care of myself, which led to me being unhealthy, which then led to, over time, complete anxiety, massive panic attacks, um, overwhelming sense of stress and just feeling completely overwhelmed it all just came crashing down and I just I hit rock bottom I just felt
1: so so bad. And at that time did you have an idea about what it meant to take care of yourself or what being healthy was or what self-care was?
0: No I don't think I did I I, I didn't know what being healthy was because I had been such a massive people pleaser all my life and I had never thought of what I wanted. I was, I had never thought of what I wanted. It just wasn't a natural habit for me. So when you are in that situation and when you're not taking care of yourself, you don't even think of what you may do to look after yourself because you're looking after everybody else and you're listening to everybody else and you're just doing what other people want you to do. And you're really not in tune at all with yourself. And I think that was the biggest thing for me, that I wasn't in tune with who I was, what I wanted, how I could help myself, how I felt about things. And that led to eventually my body and my mind going, enough, you've had enough, you can't do this anymore. And that's when I started to get massive panic attacks.
1: And during that Rock bottom, did you need to check out of life altogether, work, socializing, and really take the time to, to get well?
0: Um, no, not really. I, I didn't have the time or or the money to do that. Um I was living in Paris at the time, and when I had a breakdown, um I came home. I'm originally from Dublin, and I just knew that I, I didn't want to live at Dublin. I I I didn't want to be home, so I decided to move to Galway and because I literally had no money, um, I got a job uh, as a pizza chef in Fat Freddy's and Key Street. And while going through my breakdown, I was a pizza chef and I was still, I still had really unhealthy habits while I started there. And I, and I still wasn't taking care of myself, but that was the start of me slowly starting to take care of myself when I moved
1: to Galway. Yeah, that's so interesting that we can have people who are functioning and yet going through a breakdown. So you could be working alongside somebody who's going through a personal breakdown and you won't know because they're clocking into work, they're doing what's needed of them and then they're returning to where they live and, and you don't know.
0: Absolutely. Like I was terrified. I was so scared to tell anybody how I was feeling or what I was going through. Like I was just trying to survive from day to day. It's almost like an outer body experience. You don't really know what you're saying or, or how you're being. You're just going from one moment to the next. And it's a really horrible way to live. Like it's life, in my opinion, is all about feeling good and getting the most out of life. And Live in your best life w- w- when you can as much as possible. But when you are going through a breakdown or you're having anxiety or stress or panic attacks, or you're not taking care of yourself. It's not a quality of life. But in my experience, um, you, in my, and I can only speak for myself, you, you really hide that because you're so terrified of what may happen if you go and tell somebody.
1: Yeah, I get that, to go from surviving to thriving, however that might look. But you said something interesting that you came back from Paris and you knew you didn't want to live in Dublin. So you'd begun yeah. to ask yourself, what do I want? What is going to work for me? So what was the the turning point? I'm sure there wasn't just one, but when did you start to feel well again?
0: Um, I think I have good resilience running through me and I, I feel that the turning point came for me when while I was feeling really stressed and anxious and overwhelmed and bad, I was comfort eating, eating really unhealthy. I was three stone overweight. I was drinking way too much uh, wine. And I think I just got so sick and tired of eating my emotions and drinking to unwind and to forget things. So... I got so sick of not fixing my reality. I got so sick of, of trying to run away from my reality and it just got exhausting. So, okay, eat all those crisps and biscuits on the couch at night time and you temporarily for five seconds feel a little bit better. But then you have that disgusting, awful cycle of feeling like crap, feeling even more overweight, waking up literally thinking... Oh my God, like this is just the worst thing ever. And the same with alcohol, like having a, a glass of wine, temporarily thinking you're feeling better, but all you're doing is escaping reality. Um so that was the turning point for me. I wanted, I just decided I'd had enough and
1: I wanted to start to enjoy reality. And this is such a good conversation, I think, because I don't think we talk about this enough. It's not that crisps are the problem. It's not that wine is the problem. It's how you're using them to fill a void. And if you look for another way to fill that, then you can go back to enjoying those crisps for what they are and that wine for what it is. Yeah. Rather than having that cycle of guilt and shame and trying to fill that hole and knowing you didn't fill it and giving out to yourself for it. Yeah. So what did you fill it with instead?
0: Yeah, I love that so much. I, I couldn't agree more exactly. Um, so what I did was I I started to try to exercise. Um, now that went really terribly at the start. I I always feel and I've noticed it with with my clients when sometimes when you're starting to get into exercise, when I started to get into exercise, you get really frustrated and loads of weird emotions come out. That was happening to me. um, But I was determined. So I started to exercise three times per week. And then after a couple of weeks, I noticed that everything started changing from that one habit. Everything started changing. I slowly started to make better food choices. I started to drink water. I started to be a little bit more sleepy in nighttime because I was working out. I started to not be so exhausted in the morning time because I was going to bed a little bit earlier. And that actually blew my mind that from one habit, from exercise, and I just think exercise now is the most wonderful gift you could give yourself, Everything, everything improves and you don't get that from going on a diet, restricting your food, calorie counting. You don't get any of that from all that negative stuff that's pushed on us. But you get to feel empowered, productive, calm, in control when you work out. And from that position, then you go forth and you slowly start to make better
1: choices. And
0: that still to this day blows my mind.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why this is one of my most favourite topics to get out there. It's because of the way you're talking about it. You started to work out because of how it made you feel. You haven't mentioned that you lost weight or did you lose weight because that wasn't what was important. And that's where we come from. This place of self-hatred. So you're going to change your body. So you're going to do it. Of course, by Wednesday, Thursday, you're like, affect it and you're back on that couch again. But when you start to tune in to how it's making you feel and you find a form of exercise that you enjoy, well, then that's where it happens. So when did you change or when did you train, I should say, rather, um, to start to be able to spread this in a professional way?
0: So um, when I got into a good routine of exercise Um, after a couple of months. I realised that I loved it. So I was working out a few times a week. I started to eat healthy, drink water, have a good bedtime and morning routine and everything started going much better. My mental health started improving and I started to get mentally strong because that's what exercise does when you are getting physically strong. You start to get mentally strong and that's exactly what happened to me. Um, And then strangely enough, I saw an advert in the Galway Advertiser Um, saying that they were looking for people to go and do a course, to train, to be a fitness instructor, fitness coach. And I said, wow, that sounds absolutely amazing. Um, Why don't I go and help people feel better and feel good in their own skin? Um, So I did it and I absolutely loved it. And it just felt like the most right thing. I felt like I had found my calling. Um, Bit of a jump from a pizza chef. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny to go and do the course um, in the Muldron in Oranmore and then have to uh, come back and, and, do you know, you might be doing step aerobics for three hours and then you'd have to go and do pizza chefing from 5pm to
1: 11pm on Key Street. Yeah, it was totally gas. Um, And, you know, I think sometimes, probably unfairly, we can be intimidated by fitness instructors and think they are living in this other realm where they just, you know, eat, sleep and drink fitness and just like check out their abs every morning. (laughs) But, you know, you had walked the walk. Mm. You had been there. You knew what it was like. Why did you choose women over 40 as your target audience rather than just anybody and everybody? So I feel that women over 40
0: have a lot of change going on in their lives and like empty nest, the menopause, perimenopause, younger kids, elderly parents. It's just non-stop. It, it's just non-stop. All of my clients are going through various different stages in their lives which each bring their own problem. Um, And then layering it on top of that, women over 40, for a lot of women, because of the menopause and the hormonal changes, they get to a point where they aren't feeling very comfortable in their body. And that's leading to a lack of confidence and a lack of self-esteem right at the time when they need in my opinion, to be the most empowered and the most certain in themselves to then go and tackle their life's challenges because there are so many, 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond. Um, they're the years, in my opinion, that, that, that get tough, that you have to keep up, that you have to um, embrace, you have no choice, all this change that's going on around you. And there's a sense, in my opinion, of a loss of identity for some women, my clients that I've spoken to, especially um, when when they get into their 50s. And it's really important to me to empower those women so that they feel certain, in control, calm, productive in life and that they're getting the most out of life and that they're not feeling overweight, sluggish, tired, sitting on the couch at night, eating their emotions, drinking wine to unwind when they don't want to. Um, That they feel that they're, that, that every decade, every year can be excellent and that they can get the most out of this life by being fit and healthy. And it's my passion now. I absolutely
1: love to empower women over 40 to transform their lives through fitness. And you're obviously running this busy business now. You're a mom of two. So you get the normal everyday stresses of life, but you sort of have your foundations in place of what you yeah. need to weather that storm. But I was reading on your website, you know, you still get dips every now and then. Like during the pandemic, you kind of realised, hey, like a lot of people did, am I drinking too much? And you kind of said, do I want to keep going down this road or am I going to turn back to what I know does serve me to get through this. So, you know, it does keep happening. It's not like you've reached this utopia. Life still happens, but you just kind of build up the knowledge and the the, the toolbox to help you through.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, So after I had my breakdown and I got fit and healthy and I was running um, a a women's only training studio, um, I was eating healthy, working out, exercising and then COVID hit and I closed the the, the gym and um, I started to drink wine. So around night six, um, I was turned around to my husband and I said, oh my God, I hate this so much. I can stand up and be a leader and move online or I can just sit here, wait and drink too much. And That was a really important turning point for me in my life and in how I help my clients too because before I moved online, I was eating healthy, exercising and drinking water and it was great but I feel now looking back, I still had issues with managing stress. Stress for me has been a big issue for me in my life and even while I was being healthy, I wasn't drinking alcohol for fun. I was drinking too much to unwind at the weekends to escape the stress that I felt during the week. Same with comfort food. I was healthy and I wasn't overweight, but I was still unhappy with how I my relationship was with food. But when COVID hit and I moved the business all online, I started to get into my clients and therefore me into journaling and affirmations and sitting in silence and guided meditation now we would only do five to ten minutes after straight after a workout and the workouts only 30 minutes so that's only 40 minutes but I noticed after a year because COVID was two years I noticed after a year that I had transformed again from this six minutes of of thrive time we call it that I had transformed and not only were my clients telling me they had gone another level so even though I I know I'll always be facing challenges and problems, it blew my mind that, oh my God, there's another level that you can control yourself and your emotions even more. That it's not just exercise and food and healthy eating and and drinking water. That layered on top of that, if you can somehow find five to ten minutes, three to four times per week to just sit and be with yourself and become in tune with yourself and to find, to just become in tune with yourself, that that is another level altogether in terms of managing life and its challenges and stress and anxiety and overwhelm.
1: I absolutely love that. And I heard somebody compare it uh, once on a podcast to like a computer game that we kind of level up. We get used to whatever's on that level and then we move on to the next one and then the next. So it's a constant evolving, but it always starts with asking, how am I getting on and what do I think I need? And I see you're doing it constantly. I even saw on your Instagram, you're looking for someone now to help you with the admin because you've assessed in your business, this isn't serving me. Could I get help in this area? So it's constant. We do hate the term journey, but that's exactly <laughs> what it is. I love what you stand for. I have loved this conversation. For more you on Jessica Cook, you can go to jessicacook.ie. Thank you so much for talking to me today.
0: Thank you so much, Claire, for having me on.
1: Thank you so much. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aidan McKelvey and Hugo De Silva Scott, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening and to all my guests. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna, Sunday morning at 8. With Benalyn on News Talk.